This is Coochie's Corner Podcast, hosted by Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media, Facebook at The Crew Chief, on Twitter at The Crew Chief, Instagram at Crew Chief's Corner, and on TikTok at Crew Chief's Corner. And now on the Anchor Podcasting Network at anchor.fm and the Anchor app. All right, what is up, everybody? This is Bobby here from the Coochie's Corner Podcast, coming to you with another episode here. Uh, it's kind of weird doing an episode where we really don't have a race to talk about. So what we're going to do over the course of the next two uh, weeks, while we don't have uh, any actual uh, racing going on, is this first episode, we're going to spend probably the first half of it talking about the Brad Keselowski news, uh, going officially to Roush Runway Racing, becoming a co-owner of the organization and also um, going to be the driver of the number six car starting in 2022 at the Daytona 500. And we'll break all that news down. And then we'll also talk about some news that broke on uh, Tuesday as well, that the next gen car had received its certification from the independent panel that we spoke about on our last episode. The independent panel uh, apparently approved of the car and said that it was uh, deemed safe enough to uh to NASCAR. So the NASCAR is now uh, deploying the chassis to the teams that have charters. Uh, as we've outlined, if you have a charter, you are going to get the car first. And then those that don't have a charter, i.e. the 37 JTG car and some other entries out there, they will get the, the parts and pieces and the, char and the chassis uh, after all the chartered organizations receive their uh, chassis. So we'll start to see that process uh, begin. And uh, it sounds like uh, some people are already trying to go in and, and try to, you know, take pictures and try to start rumors. There was one that I already saw making the rounds where people were complaining about how uh, they didn't like the way that the bracing on the rear of the car looks. Um, they said that the aluminum is going to cause uh, potential intrusions into the fuel cell if impacted and, and people that aren't engineers are trying to figure stuff out. I, it's always scary. And uh, where, where was this rumor started? Of course, on one of my favorite social media platforms of all time, Reddit. So we'll uh, discuss that as well. Um, and then the thing we're going to do uh, for the second half and what we're going to do um, for the full episode next week and next week's episode, I'm going to forewarn you now is going to probably just strictly be the second part of this discussion that we're going to have. We're going to kind of do a, a catch up um to this point so what we're gonna do is we're gonna break down all of the 2021 races up until this past uh weekend out at new hampshire so we'll kind of go through kind of give a little bit of my thoughts on on the races we'll talk about um the different winners we've had we've had 13 different winners so far this season and we still have four races left until we get to the playoffs so there is a potential that a driver that has won this year could possibly miss the playoffs due to uh, no fault of their own due to the fact that we might get 16 or 17 race winners this year. And there is an outside possibility that Denny Hamlin, who is the points leader um, right now in the series could actually be locked out of the playoffs based on points. We haven't seen that yet in the history of this, uh, of this format, but it's a very real, uh, very real, I should say, possibility that that's going to happen. So uh, we'll break all that down. We'll talk about the Brad Keselowski news next. But first, we're going to hear from our friends over at Circle B Diecast. Uh, normally at this point, I'm talking about, oh, go check out a race win version for a blah, blah, blah driver. But 
obviously there was no race wins, but there was a lot of brand new uh, die cast that came in. They have been swamped. They got about three uh, new shipments in this week. So uh, go check out our friends over at CircleBDieCast.com. Remember, if you use my promo code Crew Chiefs Corner, there's no apostrophe in there. It's just Crew Chiefs Corner. You save on free shipping on all U.S. orders over $20. That's promo code Crew Chiefs Corner. And uh, like I said, if you uh, are in the continental U.S., you get free shipping on all orders over 20 bucks. So go check out my friends at Circle uh, Circle B Diecast. And they have all kinds of different uh, race diecast, uh, race versions. They have the clean versions. Um, they have uh, color chrome, liquid chrome, galaxy color on some of these finishes. Autographed, non-autographed diecast on a lot of your favorite drivers out there. And um, you know, be sure to check them out. And they have t-shirts. Don't forget they're going to be sponsoring Corey LaJoy uh at kansas this year and they're gonna be running the stroker ace throwback so you can go check out that die cast and also you can pick up the plan b sales stroker h uh stroker ace throwback uh t-shirt it's up on the website right now you can get it. it's a really cool uh looking t-shirt and uh check out everything else that our friends over at circle b Diecast have um they've been big supporters of the show and i think brent and the company over there for all their support of the crew chiefs corner podcast. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We'll, we'll uh, let you guys listen to the offer again and we'll come back on the other side. And we'll talk about Brad Keselowski to Roush Fenway racing up next on the crew chiefs corner podcast hosted by Bobby Bailey. For all your latest diecast needs, apparel, and much more. Check out CircleBDieCast.com. The best part, all of our Crew Chiefs Corner podcast listeners use my promo code Crew Chiefs Corner. No apostrophe. It's all Crew Chiefs Corner. You'll save, you'll get free shipping on all U.S. orders over $20. Check out CircleBDieCast.com. Use my promo code Crew Chiefs Corner. You get free shipping on all U.S. orders over $20. All right, everybody, this is Bobby Bailey back here on the Coochie's Corner Podcast. We're going to now break down the Brad Keselowski to Roush Fenway Racing official news that broke on uh, Tuesday. As I alluded to in the last episode, I really wanted to break it down on Tuesday and, and kind of go over everything. That way there you guys had everything in one episode instead of breaking it off into two. But I guess uh, kind of smart on my part to break it apart and do it this way because otherwise I don't know what the heck I would have talked about uh for the for this uh next two week period I actually thought about taking it off and I thought nah maybe I'll I'll buck the trend of everybody taking the time off um you know um to uh you know spend summer vacations and all that stuff because I still have a, a regular job that I'm gonna go to the next two weeks anyhow so um I don't have the liberty of getting vacation time right now. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, everything really with this Brad Keselowski announcement. So first and foremost, I think this was the worst kept secret in the garage. We all knew this was happening. This was not something that was a big surprise to anybody uh, out there in the media or, or fans or anybody really for, for that matter. Everybody kind of had this penciled in once we heard sort of the rumble from Adam Stern, uh, another Stern bomb that was dropped. And really you can't, you can't figure it out from the outside. Um, for those of us that were trying to, to figure out why Brad would go to Roush. I mean, out of all the teams I think out there that you would expect Brad to have gone to, 
Roush probably would have been on the bottom of most people's list. Um, just considering where they've been the last over, you know, probably the last 10 years realistically. Um, but more importantly, where they've been since Carl Edwards has left that organization, they, they've kind of been in this free fall, I would say. And I don't know if that's really, uh, you know, a fair assessment of, of where the organization is, but I think that's kind of what the perceived, um, you know, thing is with them. It's just, they're not that great of an organization. They used to be a powerhouse, you know, back in the Mark Martin, Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, uh, Jeff Burton, um, days, they were, they were a powerhouse team. They would, they would be the team you would have to beat on a mile and a half. They were the team you would have to beat, uh, even at the plate tracks. They were the team you would have to beat pretty much everywhere you go. And, you know, their fall from the, the top is kind of like that, that worrisome thing that I think a lot of team owners are, are, are looking at. And I think that's why we have seen some of the, the changeover in, uh, ownership in the last few weeks and years. Um, you know, you look at, you know, Rick Hendricks not getting any younger. Um, so you see that, you know, Jeff Gordon's kind of been put in line to be the guy to take over Hendrick when, when Rick, uh, retires, uh, from the sport. And I think that was a smart decision on, on Rick Hendricks part, because, you know, Jeff Gordon has been a partner in that organization has been a co-owner of that organization since 1999. Um, and now that you you firmly entrenched him in as your successor, I think that always um, you know bodes well for an organization to know that there is a future, that there is something going on. And the same could be said about what Gene Haas did when he brought Tony Stewart in in two thousand and uh, late two thousand eight, and uh, officially in two thousand and nine. You look at Stewart Haas Racing um, when Gene Haas had it exclusively on his Haas CNC Racing. That was not a very good organization. That was a team that struggled every week. That was a team that, you know, most weeks was finishing anywhere from 20th to 25th place. And they did not attract world-class drivers to that organization. I mean, no knock on Scott Riggs or Jeff Green, but Jeff Green was definitely a better Bush Series racer than he was a cup racer. And and I get it that Jeff didn't ne- uh, Jeff never really got that opportunity to drive for a big-name organization. But, I mean, Haas CNC Racing had Hendrick Power, um, I don't know if the cars came from Hendrick, but I believe there are some parts and pieces that at least escaped the Hendrick organization and went over to Haas CNC Racing. But, you know, you look at those cars, they never ran that spectacularly well. Um, and then it just seemed like Tony Stewart came over there. And I don't know if it was uh, an influx of resources that Rick uh, Rick Hendrick was able to provide Stewart Haas Racing with um, that made that team better. And, and, and realistically, I think the other thing that helped was Tony Stewart brought you know, Ryan Newman over. And I think Ryan Newman really helped out a lot over there uh, too. Um, I don't just put it all on Tony Stewart. I think Tony did a lot of things. I think Tony brought over Greg Zipidelli, his longtime crew chief, his longtime confidant uh, in, in racing uh, in the NASCAR series. And and I think that, that that pairing and then bringing over ultimately Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, um, I think those were two pivotal moves. I mean, I think the first one was obviously bringing Zippy over. I think the second one was, was bringing Ryan Newman over, um, to create a, a really strong foundation with a two car team that, you know, realistically came out of the gates really strong. You know, Stewart won that championship in, uh, in, uh, 2000 and I think it was 2011. Um, those guys were really good at what they were doing and they were able to, to succeed with a team that, you know, just two to three years prior was, 
absolutely horrendous, a mid-pack team that most people would write off uh, week to week. And how I think this relates to what, what uh, Brad Keselowski is going to do is it's, it's the model that I think you have to look at with Brad. And a lot of people will be the first, there's a, there's two different types of thought processes here for, for fans and media. There is the people that are of the belief that Roush is so broken that they will never figure it out. Brad won't figure it out. And then there's the people that have been around maybe the sport a little bit longer than, than maybe some of the first group or maybe not um, that look at Brad Keselowski a little bit differently than other people do. And what I mean by this is Brad started out, you know, he was really not a really well-known driver. I mean, he was not somebody that anybody had on their radar. He wasn't a part of a driver development program. You know, Brad kind of made his, his own way here. You know, we, we all know his father, Bob raced, and we all know that, you know, Bob owned a, a race team and stuff, but Brad never had things handed to him. Brad actually had to work for everything he got. And I think what was really interesting was Dale Jr. said that, you know, he found Brad by, you know, running some of that junk equipment he drove. I remember him driving like some of the back marker cars in the Bush series after he kind of made a couple truck series starts. Then he ended up in a, and I want to say it was a 23 car that um, uh, Richardson had and, and some other stuff that was not really uh, stellar equipment. And Brad would go out and run like, 10th with it or 12th with it. And people are like, who the hell is this Brad Keselowski kid? And that was really what kind of started people paying attention to Brad. And I'll never forget when Ted Musgrave got suspended for that one race at Memphis, if I'm not mistaken, they put Brad in the nine truck and Brad went out there and I mean, he was smoking the field in that truck. And I, I remember them, them having some kind of a problem on pit road or something that screwed him up. And he ended up not winning that race, but he turned a lot of heads that night. And, you know, Dale jr. Was struggling with drivers. I mean, he had Mark, uh, Mark McFarlane in that car. He had Shane Huff, uh, Huff, uh, Huffman in that car. He had a lot of guys that, you know, actually Mark and Shane are both crew chiefs. Now uh, I want to say in the Arkham Menard series, uh, I know Mark's with Joe Gibbs racing. I forget who uh, Sh- uh, Shane ended up with, but two guys ended up being crew chiefs. And, you know, he just, he Junior was struggling. He was trying to find somebody to put in that car. And his his solution to, was to put Brad Keselowski in there. And I remember, I remember when the move first happened, I was like, I don't know about this one. I think Junior's like losing it, you know, uh, because I remember what happened. Uh, I think it was like the year before or, or, or right around the same time with David Gilliland. You know, David Gillen went out and won that race at Kentucky and Robert Yates racing. I mean, I, I swear to God, the phone, the phone must have rang the second David pulled into victory lane because it was probably no joke. Three to four weeks after that win, uh, David Gillen was driving a cup car for for Robert Yates racing and replacing Elliott Sadler. And I was I was blown away, you know, that that was the guy that they were, you know, dead set on to, to drive that 38 car. And, and I was like, oh, man. You know, and David had a decent career. I mean, you know, he never, I think, amounted to maybe what Robert Yates thought he was going to amount to. But, I mean, he was a decent driver, you know, and had a a solid career. And you see his son, Todd, now coming up. And Todd's winning some races and stuff in the truck series. So, you know, you see some of that, um, 
you know, in in Todd that you saw in David, but you know, with Brad, I mean, it was just it it was a it was a real big risk Dale Jr. took, and he took a you know Brad took that team from running mid pack, you know, fifteenth, sixteenth, twentieth, to a team that was contending for race wins, running top tens. I will never forget the night he won there at Nashville. That was a huge win for him. That was his first career win. I have that diecast, um, you know, and I'll, I'll never let it go because that was the night I think Brad Keselowski won me over. And I just, I look at, he made, um, you know, Dale Jr.'s program a lot better. And then, you know, we all kind of know a little bit about, you know, why he didn't end up at Hendrick. You know, Rick had a seat for him. Uh, we all know the story by now. Mark Martin goes out and wins nine, uh, five races in 2009. And decides that he wants to not retire at the end of the 2009 season. And he decided to come back for 10 and 11. And that was basically when, when Brad was supposed to take over the five card. So, you know, Mark screwed Brad out of that ride, essentially. Um, whether Mark would admit that or not. Um, that was that was sort of the succession plan was to put Brad in that five card to replace Mark. And Brad would have been a Hendrick. Um, my... my gut feeling about that is I don't know I don't know I mean you just don't know what what it would have been what else would have been different had Brad been in that five car you know obviously Penske would have had to have hired somebody different uh to drive over there so you just you know you're trying to like you know spitball and think of how different would Penske be because Penske was struggling you know right around that same time frame you know they were they were having uh, a lot of problems Kurt Busch was was, uh, you know, going to get moved out of that two car, and they were going to put him in the 22 with Shell Pennzoil as the sponsor. Um, and then they created the 12 car, and, you know, they put David Stremme in it, which was, you know, a, a, a you know a filler anyhow. And then they turned around and hired uh, Brad Keselowski uh, to drive uh, originally the 12 car, and Brad drove the 12 car in uh, 2010, I want to say. And then he moved over to the two car, uh, when they did all their driver changes. And um, since then, Brad's won a cup championship. He won an Xfinity championship with, with Penske. And, you know, he went out and won, you know, a lot of races. And Penske has gone on a real tear and has become the the dominant, one of, if not the dominant Ford team. Um, you know, Stuart Haas is, is done well, but, I mean, I still think Penske has more wins uh, with Ford than, uh, than Stuart Haas does, obviously. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, he's put team Penske back on the map. You know, Penske was, a was, a, a do- I wouldn't say dominant, but they were a factor during the Rusty Wallace era, you know, Jeremy Mayfield came along and Mayfield was, was starting to, you know, gel over there and then things went sideways for him. And we all know what happened there, but, uh, Penske struggled, you know, for, for a number of years in the mid two thousands, they were struggling. I mean, it seemed like Rusty retired. They lost Mayfield. They had Newman, but you know, Kurt Busch was, was supposed to be the next coming of, of Rusty Wallace in that organization. And it just, it never seemed to really gel. It never seemed to really work. And, you know, it seemed like once Brad got there, the team got better. It seemed like things settled down a little bit more. I mean, obviously they had the problems with AJ Allmendinger, so they had to bring Sam Hornish back, and that led to the Joey Logano hiring, which I still think is is really taking Penske to the next level because I think Brad and Joey, as much as maybe they don't 
they don't always see eye to eye on the racetrack. They maybe not, not always play the nicest with each other. I think that pairing, they challenge each other and they bring out the best in each other. And I, I really like the one, the one thing I think that, that Roger's going to see when Brad leaves is how much is Joey and Ryan Blaney going to push each other? How much are they going to really make that organization better? And that's the hope. If you're, if you're Roger Penske, you're hoping that with Brad's departure, the team does not suffer. Um, you know, I know a lot of people said the same thing about Hendrick, you know, when they lost Jimmy Johnson, you know, Oh man, this is all these young kids, you know, they're not going to step it up. Well, Rick went out and hired the best veteran that was available. And that was Kyle Larson. And I think that, that kind of helped that situation a lot. And I think chase winning the championship has made that team better too. But, you know, getting back to to Brad and and what I think this is going to do for Roush, I think it's, it's a, it's bringing in an outsider and a true outsider, because here's the deal. Ryan Newman, great driver. Ryan had a great, uh, you know, 2019. And then last year, we all know what happens at Daytona. He gets in that horrific crash. He misses some races. Thankfully, the pandemic lessened the amount of races he missed. But truthfully, I think for anybody at Roush, they would admit that 2020, you could basically throw that year out for Ryan because, you know, part of the year he was getting readjusted to being back in the car. He was, you, you know, I think there was rust that had to get knocked off. And I think that 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 there was a lot of things that were going on outside of Ryan's control with those race cars that he really couldn't control. And I do think that this year they've struggled, you know, um, a little bit more than I thought they were going to. I thought this was going to be the year that we were going to really see Newman come out of the gate strong. Busher was going to look good. They had a nice start to the beginning of the season, but it just seems like whatever, like whatever they figured out early in the year, has kind of eroded and it's kind of gone back to the roush that we're used to seeing the last decade where they're just running mid pack most weeks and they're just struggling at tracks that they used to be dominant at. I mean, New Hampshire used to be a place Jeff Burton could go out there and lead every single lap of a, of a New Hampshire race. And, you know, you go back a couple weeks ago and they're struggling to finish 23rd and 25th. So um, you just see the fall off in that organization. And, and that's where I think a lot of the cautions coming from, from the race fans, but I look back at when Matt Kenseth came back to Roush in 2018, and I and I look at when Matt started to where Matt ended, and that's what gives me hope that this Brad deal is going to work out because Matt took a team that six team was not very good when Matt um, came back originally. That team struggled mightily. I mean, he crashed the first race he was in. And I think you look at where, when Matt left, they had back-to-back top tens at Phoenix and at Homestead with a brand, he had a brand new crew chief. They, they fired the, uh, the other crew chief and he had a brand new crew chief. And I think that started turning the corner and they started making that team better. And then the next season they brought Scott Graves back. You know, Scott was over at, at Gibbs in the Xfinity program. He left there. He went back to Roush to, to work in the cup program. And I think you look at, I think Scott Graves and Luke Lambert are good crew chiefs. I think the drivers they're paired up with is wrong. I mean, Luke and, and Ryan Newman work together at RCR. I think that would be a, natu- a natural transition to do. And I think the other change they got to make is they got to put Scott Graves and Chris Busher back together because those two guys won the 2015 Xfinity Series Championship together. 
So uh, one of the things I'm hoping that Brad fixes when he gets over there is he puts Busher and Graves back together because I think that's the dynamic that needs to be together. Um, I'm indifferent on Luke Lambert. I, I just, you know, if, if Newman's not coming back for part-time, is Luke Lambert really going to be Brad Keselowski's crew chief? I really kind of kind of have a hard time believing that. Um, so I think Brad is going to have to find a guy for a crew. He's going to have to find a crew chief. Um, I know he's probably not going to be able to steal Jeremy Bowens. I know he's probably not going to be able to poach anybody from Penske, but he might be able to get somebody that is maybe on an engineering level that he's worked with before, maybe get somebody that he can bring in with him that will make the organization better. And I think that that's what he really needs to, to, to get done. Um, you know, and go, and go from there. But I think Brad is, is just at that point where he will have the organization um, running better. It's going to take time. You know, it's not going to be something that's going to just happen magically in 2022. I think 2022 gives them the clean slate to start with because every organization is going to have to get used to this new car, the nuances of it, the, um, you know, the fact that you're only going to have seven of these chassis to work with. And, um, you know, figuring out what tracks to run each one of the seven cars at, uh, because I think you're going to have to use all seven. I, I don't realistically see how a team's going to just run, you know, two or the, two or three of these cars and keep a couple as backups. Um, I think you're going to have to run all seven because I think you're constantly need, needing to be changing the parts and the pieces on the cars, um, you know, each week because um, they're going to be composite bodies. You know, you're going to still need guys that are able to put the the body panels together and things like that. But I think the real cost savings on this, on this car, and I've been saying it for a while now is going to be on the, on the personnel side of things. I think payrolls are going to be way down. I think you're going to see a mass layoff in the ser in the series this off season. I, I, I feel bad for everybody because uh, there's going to be a lot of people going to be out of work and, and it's, it sucks tremendously for people to be losing jobs. But I like Brad Keselowski's, kind of forward thinking um, when it comes to, you know, possibly looking at bringing Roush back into the truck series, possibly looking at Xfinity. Um, if they can find the right funding, I, I think Brad has, has got the, the stones to do it. Um, I know it's not going to be easy work, but I, I really do believe that Brad Keselowski is going to make this team better. And, and I said it, you know, I, I said it in a comment in, in a group uh, that somebody asked, you know, what do you think of, of the move. And I said, I I'm really bullish on it. I think Brad's going to make this team better. And I would say in 10 years from now, realistically, I think you go back and look at this as a, as a possible sentinel moment for this organization that has been mediocre at best the last 10 years of its existence. And I really do believe that, that Brad is the one that's going to pull the best out of this organization. I think he's going to do, what Tony Stewart did to Haas, I think, is what Brad is going to do to Roush. I really do think that this team's going to compete for wins. This team's going to compete at a championship level. Um, and I think they're going to develop drivers. They're going to develop people. And I think that's what it's all about. You know, team sports is so much about the people. It's about hiring the right people, keep retaining the right people, and making the best out of your organization. And I think Brad, while being a team owner in a truck series, has seen it, while working with Penske, 
while working with Dale Jr.'s program with Junior Motorsports, he sees what it what it takes to build a, a winning organization and what it takes to be a champion in this series. And I think Brad is is prepared. He's eager. He's energetic. He wants this. This is something Brad has wanted for years. And this is why he left Penske because Roger Roger Penske doesn't need Brad Keselowski to be successful. Roger Penske will be successful with or without Brad Keselowski, and that's how he looks at it because he's done the same thing in IndyCar. You know, he's had a lot of really good IndyCar drivers, but you never saw him give any of them a part of the organization or anything like that. I think Brad, to his credit, was really probably the first NASCAR driver that's ever come up to him, maybe outside of Rusty Wallace, that ever said, hey, I want a piece of the action here. I want to you know, be a part owner. And and Roger looks at it and says, no, I, I mean, there's a succession plan probably in place already at Penske that we don't know about. Um, and I think that, you know, Roger's like, hey, listen, you know, if you could find someone that's willing to essentially give you a part of the organization, then that's what it is, um, you know, find it. And I think that he found it in Roush. And I think, you know, kudos to Steve Newmark uh, for having those conversations with Brad, um, you know, on, on a regular basis of just seeing how he's doing and stuff like that. I think sometimes um, <laughs> those things, you know, you just you hear about them and you're like, man, I can't believe that that's how that that whole relationship started was, you know, when Brad used to own part of the truck team and they used to be on the, the owner's council together and they used to talk about different things and how that relationship led to this moment. It, it kind of blows your mind. But at the same time, it's the same thing I've been saying since, you know, last year when Brad was, was, you know, possibly not coming back. I was like, guys, I think Brad's looking for an ownership. I mean, as much as I wanted Brad to go to Hendrick and drive that 48 car, or the five car, whatever car they were going to give him and how much I thought that that would have been a home run for Hendrick. I don't even think Rick Hendrick would have been able to give him anything because he already promised everything to Jeff. So Brad has been working towards ownership for the last four or five years. Once he started uh, Cam Keselowski Advanced, uh, Advanced Manufacturing, once he started that company, you knew Brad's mindset was to build enough wealth, right, to create his own team. Well, now he doesn't have to worry about that financial piece of it as much. I mean, he's still going to have to have some wealth on his own because eventually, when Jack retires and he gets, let's say, fifty percent of the organization, um, he's going to need money in order to be able to run the team. So I think Brad is 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 built for success. I think he's he's already built something from the ground up once. I think he's going to do it again at Roush, and uh, I think it's going to take a few years. But I think this is a win win. I think this is exactly the um, the energy and the enthusiasm that this organization has needed for the last ten years. I think that Brad's gonna gonna be able to look at the uh, the competition committee that they're creating. I think and tell them where this team really is, and 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 I. My hope and my fear are the same thing here. My fear is that Jack Roush has still got his hands on this organization and Jack's going to tell Brad what he can and cannot do, which I swear to, I, I'm telling you now, if that's, if that's what you start hearing rumors of, then, then they're in trouble. And, and I was really hoping that Jack was also going to announce that he was going to take a seat, a step back and kind of let Brad run things because some of the stories I've heard over the years from people that worked at Roush or, or, or people that know of what goes on at Roush from the outside looking in have said that it, it's a lot of the reason why Roush has struggled is because of sponsorship issues. Um, a lot of it's been because of Jack's, I don't want to say ineptitude, but I want to say Jack's inability to look and, and really 
figure out that technology is your friend. You know, I've heard a lot of things that Roush was was one of the last ones to get on board with simulation. He was one of the last ones to get involved with, with iRacing with the drivers and, and some of the other tools that teams are using today. So to hear a lot of those things, it concerns you that if that's that's how Jack is now, if Brad gets there, is he going to really listen to Brad and let Brad do what Brad wants done? Because it seemed like when Matt Kenseth, going back to the Matt Kenseth example, when Matt first got there, it sounded like there was some hesitancy on on some people's parts about Matt and what he wanted to see done. And I think that if that's not a troubling sign, then, then you know, <laughs> I don't know what is. But I think that that's really what, what I want to see not happen. I want to see that Brad gets the authority to kind of make some big changes and, and kind of take Roush a little bit more out of the dark ages and get him more on the – under the path of the technology that some of these other teams are using. And I think that will help their organization uh, dramatically. Um, but I do think that, you know, they're Jack's Jack needs to take a step back and let Brad lead and, and make this organization better. Um, I do think that there needs to be maybe some personnel changes over there. I think they need to maybe find Brad a new crew chief, um, maybe shake some things up, you know, maybe in engineering a little bit uh, because there there's, the, we know the round sheets engines aren't the problem, right? You know, we, we saw on Sunday last week at New Hampshire that uh, Stuart Haas Racing won the race. Well, how is that? How is Stuart Haas winning races when Penske has the same stuff, Penske, you know, that, you know, builds a Ford body and they're winning races. They've won races this year. We've seen Stuart Haas now win a race, but yet Roush Fenway Racing can't win. What is going on with the geometry of the cars? What's going on with the suspension components? What's going on with the bodies? Why is there? Why is Roush struggling as much as they are? But we see Penske and Stuart Haas dominating sometimes races, and we just don't see that out of Roush Fenway. So hopefully Brad can pinpoint it. I think Brad having knowledge of Penske's organization and and why they're successful and, and what makes their cars better, I think will help. But again, I just, I just hope Jack doesn't go there and say, Oh no, 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 we can't do that. We don't, we, we can't do that. You know, this, this, this is how you build winning race cars. I just, I just hope that doesn't happen. But my overall take is good thing for Jack Grouch that they signed Brad. I think he's a hall of fame uh, driver. Um, and I, and I think that this is going to be, like I said, that, that moment, that watershed moment, that big moment that Stuart Haas had um, when they announced that deal. I think this is going to be that moment you're going to look back in 10 years and say, man, remember when Brad Keselowski went to Roush Fenway and this happened? So hopefully that's what we see. But uh, I, I expect big things out of him. Obviously, the first couple of years, you got to give him a pass. I think really the first two years, you're going to have to give him a pass because I think it's going to take time. And I know Brad knows it that they're going to struggle, um, which is why I think he alluded to it a bit in the press conference. So what we're going to do, we're going to take another quick break here. I'll talk to you guys about the crewchief.net. Be sure to check out our website. We have all the latest news and information on there. We also have the uh, driver points. We have the race results from New Hampshire up there. I'm going to get the schedule up there for Watkins Glen and all the other cool news for uh, your latest needs all on the website. It's so crewchief.net. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, explain the website a little bit more to you guys. And then on the other side, we will talk about um, we're going to talk about 2021, how we got here, 
uh, to this point, and then we will also uh, discuss the next-gen chassis. This is Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast, hosted by Bobby Bailey. Check out the crewchief.net for all the latest NASCAR news, driver points, owner points, uh, race results, race schedules, paint schemes, and all, of course, all the latest news and information. That's once again, that's the crewchief.net, your portal to the world of NASCAR silly season news and racing statistics. All right, we are back here on the Crew Chiefs Corner podcast. So now we're going to talk about the next-gen car and the certification of the chassis to be given and distributed out to the organizations that have charters um, that are going to have charters for the 2022 season. Um, so as we talked about on the last episode, there was an independent panel that NASCAR um, sent their crash test data information to, and they approved, I guess, or told NASCAR that they certified and you know, I guess gave them some kind of recommendations, but they believe that the char the chassis and the cars are safe enough to be distributed to the race teams. So that process is, has begun and teams are going to start receiving their 2022 ch uh, chassis uh, as of this past week. So we know that the uh, group technique who um, is building the chassis uh, for NASCAR um, to distribute to the race teams have already started that process. And, you know, it, I think it took a day. And somebody on Reddit posted a photo of a car uh, of the chassis and was pointing out that there are aluminum uh, braces on the back of it that are going to fold up and cause uh, the car to impact di the, the car's fuel cell to directly impact into the wall, thus causing more fires and possibly some really bad injuries to the drivers. Then that was met with some other people that said this is incorrect, that this is going to dissipate a lot of energy, and actually it'll, the cars are going to be way safer with the way this bracing was built uh, out of aluminum, and it's not made out of steel and won't be as rigid, and it, it'll you know give a lot of uh, deflect a lot of energy away from the driver in a rear impact. So it was kind of interesting, and it kind of goes back to my point from last week that don't believe everything you see on Reddit because essentially the whole thing with the next gen car the rumors of crash test dummies dying crash test not going the way nascar wanted it which is why they created this other panel a lot of it could have been prevented i'll agree with the folks that said that it could have been prevented because it, it could have been prevented by nascar if nascar was just more transparent and i think that this kind of goes back to that discussion we were having last week um with you know, the racetrack operators, NASCAR in general, just having a more open dialogue with the drivers. I think, again, the drivers are your greatest stakeholder. They're your greatest asset, but they can be your biggest nemesis if you let it get to that point. And I think NASCAR's got to tread lightly here. I think they have to um, realize that the drivers are their biggest asset. They, they are their biggest stakeholder when it comes to being the drivers that are putting their lives on the line. And, and, and I understand NASCAR could be a little bit flippant um, with it because they're like, hey, listen, you know, it's a privilege to drive in our race cars. You know, uh, if you think that they're not safe, then we don't have to welcome you into the sport. I get that because they're all independent contractors. It's it's not like a ball and stick sport where there are uh, there's no labor union in NASCAR. There's no 
uh, any of that. And I don't think that there needs to be. I just think the drivers need to be a little bit more vocal um, with their with their thoughts. And I think that, you know, the fact that this has gone on for the last five years that NASCAR really hasn't been listening to the drivers or hasn't been seeking out the driver's input, I think um, the drivers need to to, to to stand their ground and say, hey, listen, we, we deserve to be uh, asked for our opinions, to be, you know, sought out when you guys want to change something because they know what's what what works and what doesn't work. A lot of them do. And there's a lot of very smart drivers that are still involved in the sport. The Tony Stewart's of the world. Um, you know, you got Jeff Gordon, you know, you got some guys that are still deeply involved in this sport that know about it. And then you have guys that are involved in the sport in other ways. Like Rusty Wallace would be another driver. I mean, crown loud Rusty would be a good person to seek out advice from. There's a lot of people that they could go to and say, Hey, you know, we're thinking about doing this or we're thinking about doing that. That could give them some really good advice. So I think NASCAR's just got to seek out the right individuals and make sure that they're, they're talking to their current drivers, but also talking to some of the former guys that might be able to give them a little bit of an outsider perspective too, on some of these things as well. And I think NASCAR uh, just has to do a better job of it, but um, kudos to NASCAR for clarifying everything, but I, I, I give them, I mean, overall, I give them a C on this deal because realistically, you know, they should be more transparent. They, the rule book should be open to the fans. The fans should be able to get to the, to the rule book easier. I've been saying this for years. I don't know why NASCAR is doing it, but NASCAR has got to make the rule book more access, uh, accessible to the, to the average race fan. You know, you shouldn't have to go jumping through hoops or asking Bob Pachris who, you know, because the media's got access to it. I think it's baloney. I think NASCAR's got to post it, let the drive, let the fans be able to look at it and know exactly, um, you know, what is, you know, legal, what isn't legal. Uh, talk about the process with the next-gen chassis. I mean, I had no idea until I listened to Door Bumper Clear that unless you possess a charter, you're not going to get a chassis for a while, you know? And, and I just think that that whole process has to be more transparent. It has to be more open. It has to be better, and I, I'm hoping that with this next negotiation that's going to come with the RTA, which is the Race Team Alliance, um, in 2024, that I hope this next next window of negotiations um, allows for that transparency to be even bigger and broader, and, and hopefully uh, we'll see more of it because I think NASCAR has gotten too closed up. I think they have, as they've become a little bit more of a private organization um, structurally, I think that that they've pulled a lot of the the things behind the curtains, and um, I don't think that's always a good thing for for um, the sport. So I think more transparency is is bigger. So what we're going to do now, we're going to transition a little bit into our how did we get here? How did we get to this point in 2021? We're going to break this part up into two segments. So for this first segment, we're going to talk about. The first part of the season, I don't really exactly know how far we're going to get, but um, what we're going to do is I'm going to replay some of our race recaps. I'm going to pick a couple um, to put in to this episode, and then what we're going to do is we're going to put a couple of others into next week's episode. So uh, between the two uh, podcasts, we'll have that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play Daytona. We're going to play the Daytona Road Course. We're going to do Homestead. I'm going to do... Um, uh, maybe one other one in this one. So we're going to do five, uh, four. And then the next one, we'll do a few more. And then uh, I might do a, like a third part. So I might maybe break it up into three parts. So it's not like 
15 and one and five and or four in the other. So um, we'll do the first uh, three races of the season, which were all down in Florida. And then I'll give you the one uh, after that, which was the beginning of the West Coast swing, which would have been uh, Las Vegas. Um, and then we will um, go from there. So listen uh, back on uh, the race recaps. And then uh, they're just going to be the race recaps. They're not going to be the full uh, full episodes um, from those races. They're just going to be the race recaps. And then, like I said, uh, next week, um, I'll kind of put a, a finish and a start on it so that there is some fresh in, uh, information in there if need be. Uh, anything that breaks or something like that so that they're not just a repackaged uh, episode. So hope you guys uh, enjoy the kind of dive back into uh, the 2021 season. And we'll catch you guys next week on our next part, part two of the 2021 look back. And uh, we'll catch you next week on the Crew Chiefs Corner podcast hosted by Bobby Bailey. But stick around for our race recaps. Um, here for the first part of this exciting, hopefully three-part series. Catch you later. All right, so we're back here on the Creatures Corner Podcast. We are bringing you the Daytona 500 recap, and I'll tell you, I mean, out of all the 500s, uh, this one had a little bit of everything. It had a five five-hour rain delay, which uh, made it a night race. The race didn't get started until like 10 o'clock. And, uh, I saw the last eight laps. I watched a little bit of it and then I kind of nodded off, fell asleep. Cause I had to be work early in the next morning and I woke up and it was, uh, right around midnight. I watched the last eight laps and watched, uh, Michael McDowell, uh, get that run on, uh, Brad Keselowski and, and Joey Logano and Logano goes to try to make a move. And, and there's just no move that Joey could have made there. Uh, at the end and and caused that big wreck coming to the checkered flag in which Michael McDowell beats out Chase Elliott, the 2020 uh, cup champ. And uh, McDowell was able to capture his first NASCAR cup series win and his 358th career start. So a total uh, underdog win for, for McDowell and in, in a race that uh, just had a little bit of everything in it. I mean, you know, we had big wrecks, we had some single file racing, which, uh, I know it's not the most exciting when they run around at the top and they just kind of, you know, ride. Uh, that's not always the most popular thing uh, to see. Uh, but they did a little bit of everything. And, and I just think that you look at McDowell winning. Uh, he's always been a decent plate racer. Uh, his, his Definitely his background is road racing uh, for sure. And you got to see um, why, uh, you know, people do say anybody can win at these places because you know you you have luck does come in, in into into account with some of these races um but mcdowell is usually up in the front anyhow at, at a lot of these places and you look at the history of front row motorsports you know if you go back and, and watch that 2011 daytona 500 win for trevor bain one more time obviously david reagan was leading up until that that last caution and then he got it was deemed that he you know, I, I forget he changed he changed lanes before the start finish line on that last on that restart before the final one. So they dropped him all to all the way to the rear of the field. And that set up, you know, the thing for Trevor Bain to to, to lead him coming to the checkered flag. But if you look when Bobby Labonte and and I forget who was behind him, go to try to get to the outside of, of Trevor and Carl Edwards comes down low, the car that's behind him is a thirty four. 
of uh, Travis Quapple, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in that 34 car. And, and they come down to uh, make that run uh, to push Bane to the 500 win. Um, so a little bit of irony in that, uh, you know, you watch that and then, you know, everyone's saying there's something with the one years, you know, each decade. You have 2001, you have Michael Waltrip winning, winning at Daytona. 2011, you have Trevor Bain winning the 500. And now you have 2021, which you have Michael McDowell winning. So three very crazy races. Um, and, uh, you know, you get a, a surprise first time winner at, at, uh, at the season opening Daytona 500. So a big win for McDowell, a even bigger win for front row motorsports. I believe that's only their second or third win as a team. So, uh, that's a, that's a big accomplishment for, for those guys. And, um, and all that. The other thing I really wanted to get to, um, and, and, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to do the episode last week, um, was the, the 20, 20th anniversary of Dale uh, Earnhardt's passing and sort of what that has meant to the sport. And, you know, I think when you look back 20 years ago, um, it was 20 years ago last week, you know, you look at at where the sports come. I mean, we've had so many safety innovations. Guys have to wear the Hans device. Guys have to wear full face helmets. Um, but you also look at it took Dale Earnhardt's death before the sport really ratcheted everything into high gear. You know, when we lost Adam Petty, we lost Ky- uh, Kenny Irwin and, and, and Tony Roper there, those three drivers within a v- three very short periods of time, you know, not, not, there was some, there was some movement. There were some, some folks that were calling for some changes and, and stuff, but it wasn't until we lost Dale that it really got serious, that they really started paying attention to, the Hans device. They started paying attention to safer barriers. They started doing some of the things that you look at today and, and drivers take for granted. I mean, you know, and I think if you haven't watched the E60 piece that just came out a couple weeks ago on Dale's 20th uh, anniversary of his passing, the E60 ser- uh, you know, special that, that Ryan McGee put together was spectacular. It was it was really good, really well done, and and anytime Ryan McGee does something with NASCAR related for ESPN, he usually does a really great job with it. And th- and this piece does not disappoint by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, I've seen the day, I've seen plenty of stuff on it, you know, and I remember what it was like, you know, when 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 this happened. You know, I was twelve. I mean, I remember this pretty pretty vividly uh, of what happened that day and and watching that race and knowing that something bad it happened i mean you know when when you're growing up and you're watching races and 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 you see dale earnhardt you think of an intimidating intimidator you think of ken squire calling him one tough customer you think of that moment when he's at talladega flipping upside down and getting hit in the window in in the window of the car you know the windshield that's why they have the earnhardt bar in there is because that's what broke his collarbone um was not having that bar in that car and you think of Dale walking out of that car and holding his his collarbone area, and he gets back in the car and races the following week. You know, uh, that's what you think of when you think of Dale Earnhardt. And when this accident happened, you know, you see him getting in a wreck, and you look at it and you say, "Well, it's you know, he didn't flip upside down, he didn't get hit by a car. He, you know, he was he just went into the wall. You know, and and that's what you think." 
and and when you see Dale not coming out of the car and you see Kenny Schrader over there frantically, you know, waving his arms, trying to get the medical crew that's already rushing to the scene to get there even faster because he sees something that he will have to live with the rest of his life. And, um, you know, it just, it, it's the unthinkable situation that none of us were prepared for. You know, I don't care if you were 12 or you were 35 or 50 at the time or even older. Nobody was pre prepared for this. I mean, you know, nobody knew the magnitude of, of what losing Dale Earnhardt was going to do for this sport in so many ways. You know, I think there was a lot of people. I remember when Dale Earnhardt died, a lot of people think the sport of NASCAR died that day in a lot of ways because of the safety features that they went through. And, you know, I think of the people that think of that and I said, that's so narrow sighted. So, you know, so narrow sighted to think that way that the sport died when Dale died because, you know, yeah, they had to make the sa the sport safer. You know, you think about all the people that NASCAR had lost over the, over the decades from 1948, all the way through 2001, all the drivers that had lost their lives because of the dangerousness of the sport and how, since we've gone from 2001 all the way through now two races of the 2021 season without anyone dying in one of the three NASCAR national series, it's a true testament to what NASCAR did. And I knew what they did wasn't popular because a lot of fans weren't crazy about NASCAR making these guys wear full face helmets. There's fans that were upset about the Hans device. There are fans that were upset about the safer barriers. There are fans today that still don't watch NASCAR that still don't watch NASCAR because it's not the same as when Dale raced. And I get that. But at the same time, NASCAR had to do something to show the drivers that they cared about their health and well-being. You know, you, you can't, I mean, how long can you get away with running a sport that quite literally you can die doing? And I think NASCAR had to do something. It's the same thing that, you know, the NFL had to change the helmets. They had to, re, you know, they had to really do a lot of work on their end with player safety too, because guys were getting hurt. You know, you had the Eric Legrand situation down at Rutgers. You know, he gets the guy gets injured on a kickoff. Now the NFL changed the kickoff rules. You don't see as many returns as you used to see in the as you used to see back in the day. It's because of player safety the reason why the NFL has done what they've done. You know why the 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 the, the rules have changed on pass interference. And why you can't touch the quarterbacks, why you can't horse collar tackle, why you can't do some of the things that they used to do back in the day. It's all about player safety. And in NASCAR, it's all about driver safety. And in, in the same token, you look at Carl Edwards' accident at, at Talladega in 2009 when Brad Keselowski wins. Carl Edwards' car flies through the air, goes through, goes into the catch fence, and his car gets ripped apart like, a, like it goes through a, 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 a shredder. And there's metal debris flying all over the place. So what does NASCAR do? They take the wings off the car. They put the wings on the car originally to create downforce on, on the on the cars of tomorrow. They didn't they weren't going to use a spoiler anymore. Well, after Carl's wreck, they decided the cars are getting airborne way quicker than they used to. It's probably because they put an old big wing on the back of it. So they put the spoiler back on, the cars don't fly in the air as, as often. You know, but you look at um Ryan Newman's wreck last year. Ryan Newman gets hit in the windshield. 
Actually, well, it doesn't get hit in the windshield. He gets really gets hit in the top of the roof, basically right where the driver sits, where where his helmet is. And that's a and that's a scenario that I, I guarantee you that car flips in the air. If that car flipped in the air a hundred times, I bet you there's only a one percent shot that that car lands exactly the way it did that night a year ago. I guarantee you there's a 1% chance. That was one of the most freak things that could have ever happened in, in a NASCAR race. But because of that, they learned so much more and they put in some extra bracing in there. They put extra things into the structure of the roll cages to make them safer so that they don't collapse as much and make it so that, you know, you don't ever ha- hopefully have another Ryan Newman type situation. Thankfully, Ryan was okay. But you look at all the things that saved Ryan Newman's life were a lot of the things that weren't present when Dale Earnhardt died. Full face helmet, you know, the 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 seats, the carbon fiber seats that these guys have with the head the head uh, restraint, you know, the Hans device, um, you know, some of the other things. These guys have so much more technology in these race cars to keep them safe. It is absolutely unreal. So, I mean, Dale's legacy, yeah, you, everybody knows he's a seven-time champion. Everybody knows he's won 76 races. Everybody knows that during his prime, he was the greatest NASCAR driver on the racetrack. Even better than Richard Petty. Everybody knows that. But you can't look at Dale Earnhardt and not look at the innovations that have come since his passing. And I think that that's really his legacy. It's because of Dale, we don't have another one that's lost their life. And that's the that's the part where we should all be very thankful for. So with that, that's the end of this episode of the Coochie's Corner podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really enjoyed bringing you the Daytona 500 recap. Congratulations to Michael McDowell, Austin Sindrick, and Ben Rhodes on their wins at the season opening races at Daytona. You can catch all previous episodes of the Coochie's Corner podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, this is season two. So uh, you can go back and listen to all the season one stuff. And we hope to catch you next time on the Coochie's Corner podcast. This is Bobby Bailey. Have a great week. And we'll catch you for part two of the Daytona recap a little bit later this afternoon. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the 2021 Daytona 500 race recap. Michael McDowell capturing his first career NASCAR Cup Series win on the biggest stage in the world. And now up next. As we continue our 2021 race recaps, we move on to the road course. Will we go two for two at Daytona with a surprise winner? Listen to our Daytona race recap starting right now. This is the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast hosted by Bobby Bailey. All right, guys, we're back here on the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast. This is Bobby Bailey. So first here, we want to get into the Daytona road course. That kind of, uh, you know, I apologize that we're kind of like two weeks behind uh, the real races, you know, as I've mentioned in another uh, episode, kind of had to take an unexpected week off. So uh, I felt that it w- wouldn't have been fair if I just skipped the race uh, because if somebody wanted to go back and listen to the entire season and I didn't have all the races covered, someone might get upset. So I wanted to make sure I covered all the races. I went over everything that way there. Um, if somebody wanted to go back and, and listen to the entire season and, and listen to certain uh, things in certain episodes, you would have all the races there for you to listen to. So let's start with the truck race. Um, you know, Ben Rhodes uh, picked up the win. It was his second win of the season, second win in a row at Daytona. 
just a big win for those guys uh, with the the 99 team, the Bombardier uh, Toyota Tundra there for Thor Sport Racing. You know, when 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 we talked about Ben Rhodes on the last episode, you know, I kind of said that this was kind of like a turning that this year was going to be a big year for him in the sense that this almost to me was like a turning point. Um, you know, I think Ben kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, in an episode uh, in a in an interview he did with uh, Sirius XM NASCAR radio. He kind of mentioned that uh, he had some opportunities to go to, you know, Xfinity or Cup. And, you know, he elected to stay in the truck series uh, for at least this year. Um, and and I think that this was a smart decision. You know, Ben Ben was in Xfinity. Um, I think some people might remember that, you know, about five years ago, maybe five, six years ago now. And he had an opportunity. He was with Junior Motorsports. He was running a limited schedule driving the 88 car. And, you know, Ben was, you know, mediocre. He wasn't great in that car. Um, but he had an opportunity to go run trucks full time. And he's been there ever since. And I think, you know, you look at Ben's career, he has a, you know, he had a couple wins coming into the season. He had that win at his home track in Kentucky. Then he had a win out at Las Vegas. Uh, I think it was 2017. He had a win out there in Las Vegas. Um, and I think he won his home race in Kentucky. And I want to say 2016, I think, I think that sounds right. And then, um, you know, he had the two wins here. So I think he's got four, four, maybe five wins. There might be one I'm missing, but he has the two wins this year that are huge. You know, Daytona, I mean, Daytona is unpredictable, you know, the plate race, um, that's, you know, on the oval, it's, it's, it's an unpredictable race. You, you can't, you know, yeah, there's guys that are really good at plate racing or, or racing in packs, but then there's guys that are just not good at it. And, you know, they're at the right place at the right time. And I think Ben was, was had a little bit of both. Ben's been pretty good at these, you know, at Daytona, Talladega's, he's been good at those places. He's had some decent finishes, but then you look at, he was at the right place at the right time because, you know, because there was a little bit of attrition in that truck race, um, he had some help from some teammates. He was really in a good spot. And you look at, you know, the win at Daytona for him, you know, locked him into the playoffs and all that stuff. So going into the Daytona road course, there wasn't the pressure on that team. And you go out and you win the, the road course race, which was the race that, I mean, if you had to ask me, I don't think Ben Rhodes was a factor in a win in a lot of people's opinion. You know, if you go out there and ask uh, 50 random people, do you pick Ben Rhodes to win a truck race at the Daytona road course? I think, 48 of them would say, no way, you know, there would probably be a couple of people and say, well, it's, it's a road course race. So you don't know. I mean, you know, you smash up enough trucks, anybody can win that race. But, uh, you know, I just, I think it was a great job by Ben and, and everybody over at Thor sport on um, that race team. You know, it's, it's once again, kind of, kind of beating the dead horse that we talked about last week on last week's episode is that move back to Toyota. I felt like this was a great move for this organization. I felt like this was something that as much as going to Ford might have been about, you know, maybe there's some more money, maybe there's some better opportunities for them, um, maybe on, on some on some other areas. But going back to Toyota, I, I thought for Thorsport was the right move. This was the this is where they were the most successful. This is where they won their races. This is one where they won the bulk of their championships. This is this is kind of like where they needed to be. It, it's kind of like sometimes teams go change manufacturers for various different reasons, financial reasons, uh, you know, other reasons, you know, maybe they, they, they feel like, 
you know, they're at a certain spot in the pecking order, you know, like look at Stuart Haas, you know, Stuart Haas at Chevy was never going to be above Hendrick in, in at all, you know, and they had to rely on Hendrick for their engines and stuff like that. Now at Ford, okay, now you rely on Roush Yates, but Stuart Haas could become the perennial number one Ford team. Now I think Penske and them are kind of like one in one a, and then you kind of slot everybody else behind them. Um, but I really do think that, you know, you look at Thor sport, you know, is now one of the, you know, they were, they were the premier Ford team, but now that they went back to, to Toyota, you know, you have KBM, which is always going to be a, uh, one of the top Toyota teams. And then you have Thor sport. So you have two really good teams that have one championships, one owner's championships have one driver's championships. And those two organizations, you know, I really do think this year are going to make a lot of noise. Um, and, and I think you're going to, you're going to see Kyle Busch Motorsports in the coming weeks are going to start winning races. I mean, you look at John Hunter Nemechek, you'd think that that's a guy that's going to win multiple races this season. You look at, you know, when Kyle Busch gets in a truck, uh, this year, you know, Kyle Busch in those five races, he's going to run, he's going to be very competitive. So, you know, those things going into this and, and now you're looking at, um, you know, how the rest of the season is going to shape up. You look at GMS, you know, Sheldon Creed, he had a couple of rough races to start the season. Okay. Um, you know, they take in Raphael Lessard, they lose Brett Motfit. Um, you know, but Zane Smith's won, won races last year. So, you know, where's GMS going to be this year? Are they going to take kind of like a little bit of a step back? Because although they had the defending champion, Sheldon Creed, Creed's had a bad start to the season, you know, I mean, okay. Net, you know, we're two races in, but I mean, Creed didn't have the best couple of races. Um, and I think that as the season progresses, we're going to see, you know, I, I, I would fully expect that Matt Crafton's going to win races. I fully expect Johnny Sauter to win races. I even expect Grant Enfinger to be in contention to win races in the 10 races he's in that, in that truck. So I, I'm looking at Thor Sport, and if you get multiple wins of these drivers, where are those wins coming from? And it's going to have to come from someone. Some organization is going to struggle this year, and I, that's why I really do think GMS is going to struggle a little bit. I still think Creed gets some win, a win or two. I still think uh, they're on the right trajectory. I still think Zane Smith's going to win a race or so, a uh, race maybe two. But I think that if you look at like the Tyler Ankrams over there, you know Tyler's probably going to have a solid season, might not win a race. Um, you know Raphael Lessart, I know it's his first full time season over there at GMS, um, but it's going to be a it's going to be a learning season for him. I, I think he's He's still got to get used to these trucks. I think last year there was a lot of pressure on the kid. He's over at Kyle Busch Motorsports. We all know how much pressure Kyle puts on his drivers over there. So I really think that um, that organization is going to have a little bit of a, a tougher year this year. And Chase Purdy, obviously, he's got to get uh, acclimated with the trucks. But I don't really have big expectations on Chase Purdy this season at all. So then we move over to the Xfinity side of things. And the Xfinity series race at Daytona had a little bit of everything, you know, early on, it looked like this was going to be Austin syndicate race. Um, you know, we, we it, it almost was starting to set up. Like we were going to have the potential to go into Sunday's race with the cup series of having the, the guy that won the date, you know, the first two races of the season, w you know, that streak was going to go into uh, Sunday, but then we had Ty Gibbs give one of the great drives of, of the season. And I know we're only two races in, 
But if you put the four races we had prior to this on, and then you put the race that Ty Gibbs put together on, on that Saturday evening uh, a couple of weeks ago out there at the Daytona Road Course, it was absolutely an incredible run to the finish. And say what you want about Ty Gibbs, the kid's got talent. And now, do I think Ty Gibbs would have won in his first career start had he been driving for a lesser race team? Maybe not. But I think he still would have turned heads because, you know, it, it, the car gets you, you know, to a point. But you also have to have talent because, you know, there's been guys that have been really, really in really fast cars that have zero talent. And, you know, those guys get out of the cars real quick. Uh, they wreck them real fast, this, that, and the other. Ty Gibbs winning at Daytona at the road course in his first career Xfinity start is not a is a great accomplishment. I don't know if this means uh, – what this means for his future because, you know, it, it, it's a Daytona road course. He had a little bit of experience on it last year in the Arca, uh, in the Arca Menard series when they raced there, you know, it, last season. Um, so he had some experience on that track. It's not like he went into his cold turkey. But the the accomplishment is amazing, considering that the other drivers that have done this, I think he was the sixth, uh, sixth driver ever to win in his first career Xfinity start. The other five guys, mind you, were all drivers that were established cup guys. They were coming down and running their first ever Xfinity or Bush race. Okay, so so you have to put that caveat on the other drivers and, and then that kind of puts you in. And I get, and again, this gets us back to a discussion we've had multiple times uh, on this show. Uh, I mean, on this podcast is, you know, he's he's Joe Gibbs's grandson, you know, and, and we've talked about the Dillons and and all that. But I think that again, you saw the kids got the talent. I think he's gonna win more races this season. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if, you know, I don't have his uh, schedule right in front of me, but if he's going to run, you know, uh, uh, Bristol, uh, not the dirt race, he'll probably run Bristol later in the season, but he runs at Dover. Some of these places he has experience at, I would not take him out of contention because we know how good that JGR equipment is and we know how good he is. And that was the thing, I think, for most of us that were cautious observers of his in ARCA was – how good is the equipment that he's running versus his competition versus what the talent truly is? And I think that when you put him in, a, in an infinity car and you put him up against guys that are in equal, if not better equipment than him, uh, or, I mean, I'm sorry, you put him in equal equipment and, and you really get to look at guy at other drivers and you can evaluate them. It's also the same thing. Like you can look at, hit, at Ty Gibbs going out and winning in his first race and you look at a guy like Daniel Hemrick who finished in third. Daniel Hemrick and him are driving the exact same equipment, okay? Daniel Hemrick's made 90 career starts or 89 career starts as of the Daytona Road Course. Has never won. And here's a kid that jumped in a car. He just turned 18 last year. Jumps in an extended car. First time he's ever been in one. Goes out and wins a race. What does that say about Daniel Hemrick? But what does that say about some of the other drivers we've seen in this series? Again, I do think equipment has something to do with it. But now that Daniel's in the same equipment, I think that puts a lot of pressure on Daniel Hemrick this year. And I think Hemrick's, you know, listen, this is his best shot at winning. If Daniel Hemrick can't win in a, in a Gibbs car, 
you really might have to reevaluate what your opinion of Daniel Hemrick is. It's just like when Justin Allgaier came back, you know, he ran cup for a couple years, um, you know, with uh, Turner Scott Motorsports or Turner Motorsports, uh, you know, with Steve Turner up there in the, in the cup level. And, you know, he struggled. He struggled mightily. Then, uh, I'm sorry, Harry Scott. I'm sorry. When he came back and he was driving for junior motorsports, the pressure was on Justin Allgaier to win races. Justin has answered the bell and has won races, but he hasn't won a championship yet. And I think that this is going to be a pivotal year for him. I think the eyes are on him to win the championship because let's face it, there's no more Chase Briscoe. There isn't a big three in this series. He's gonna. He's got a very good shot to step up this year and win multiple races if those guys can put their season together. But the prob, but the problem with junior motorsports is they've had now two bad races in a row. And and once we get into the Homestead Miami part of it, we'll talk about it and how now there there are three races behind the eight ball. So what are you going to do now? You're you're looking at this long term and where these guys are, and, and it makes it, it makes you wonder what's going to happen. You know, if Algar has another rough year, what do you do? I mean, we know he's got the funding, but at what point does Dale Jr. say, "Listen, I don't care how much funding you got. You know, we're here to win races, obviously, and win championships. Well, we've won races, but we haven't crossed that championship thing. It's the same thing that happened to Regan Smith." And hopefully the funding stays. Hopefully, you know, Justin's able to to stay at Junior Motorsports. But at some point in time, you got to answer the call and win the championship. I, I know some guys have never been able to do that. They're, you know, I was a Mark Martin fan. Mark Martin was never able to win that championship. But I think at some point in time, as an organization, you have to look and say, you know, is this the guy that's going to get us a championship? And you have to look at it that way. So um, we'll move on to the cup race. You know, listen, the cup race on, on Sunday uh, at Daytona was was absolutely wild. Uh, you know, you kind of thought that, you know, Chase Elliott had a shot at it. Um, you know, it just, it was one of those weird races. It was, it was one that, you know, went one way, then it went another. It, it, and you end up with another first-time winner. So, you had back-to-back first-time winners. You get Christopher Bell, his first career win uh, in the 20 car. First win with Adam Stevens. Um and the whole deal. So it's a big win for for Christopher Bell. I think it validates what Joe Gibbs saw in Christopher Bell f- several years ago. I think it also, in some regards, validates the move that they made to put Eric Jones out of his car and put Seabell back, you know, or put Seabell C- in it. I think that's the the move that a lot of people were curious how how was this going to pay off. We knew it was going to hurt Eric Jones a lot because going to going from JGR to Petty is a big step down. We we saw that uh, coming, but how quickly was Christopher Bell going to be able to answer the bell and put that car in victory lane? You see what I did there? But how fast was he going to be able to answer the call and put that car in victory lane? And he was able to do it in his second race. So now the rest of the year for them is is gravy. They can go out. They can. They can try strategies. Adam Stevens can be aggressive on on fuel mileage and all the things that he wants to do in order to get that team some more stage points and ultimately ultimately some more wins so that builds their bonus points up for the playoffs. So a big win for Christopher Bell, a big win for Adam Stevens and uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, and, and again, um, another first-time winner. And uh, when we get to the Homestead Miami uh, you know, review here in a little bit, 
uh, on the other side of this break, um, we'll keep some of these themes going. So uh, very exciting. Uh, I, o- I overall thought the race weekend was really good. I know there were some concerns about this race coming off of last year. Um, you know, cause a lot of people thought the races last year were boring. I think the drivers figured out the track a little bit this year, a little bit better. It was a better, I thought all three races were a lot better, um, than they were the year before. And I wouldn't mind NASCAR doing this again. Um, but I hope it's not the expense of a really good race. That's all I'm asking. Uh, if they want to take a boring race off of the schedule for, for lack of a better terminology, I'm, I'm all for it. You want to take a mile and a half race away and and give a race permanently to the Daytona road course. I'm cool with that, but let's make sure we're taking the right, the race away from the right track. Let's make sure we're doing that. Um, because I think, you know, the mile and a half, you know, some of these places have character, you know, you look at Atlanta, you look at Homestead, they have character. They, they produce some really good racing. Um, Darlington produces good racing. But I think you look at some of these places, you know, you have Kansas, you have, um, you know, Atlanta, I mean, not Atlanta, you have, you know, Vegas is still kind of like on the newer pavement side of things. Some of these places just, they don't race the way some of these other places do. And I think the Daytona road course would be a, a perennially good track because that infield section is worn out and it created a lot of fun and it really really made it worth uh, worth your while to watch that race. So if you didn't catch it, go, go find it on YouTube. I'm sure someone's got it, uh, whether NASCAR has it up there or not. But I would go watch the Daytona Road Course races. It was a, a really good race. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to do our Homestead review. And I'm going to do it the same way I just did our, our Daytona one. We're going to do all three in one segment, and then we'll get to the news and the notes, and we'll see what else uh, what else we get into. So this is the Crew Cheese Corner Podcast. I'm Bobby Bailey. All right, guys. So obviously at Daytona Road Course, we saw Christopher Bell picking up his first career NASCAR Cup Series win. So now we're going to take a look back at the final race in the Florida trifecta to start the season. We'll go to Homestead Miami Speedway. Can we stay three for three with surprise winners to start the season? Let's check out what happened at Homestead Miami Speedway back in March. All right, we're back here on the Coochie's Corner Podcast. This is Bobby Bailey uh, bringing you our Homestead race recap. So um, this is attempt number like three or four at this. So we've been having some uh, issues a little bit, but uh, hopefully hopefully this one takes. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the Xfinity race on, the sa- on Saturday evening. It was a, a fantastic race. Um, you know, just, just a, an exciting race from start to finish. You know, Noah Gragson was looking to pick up his uh, first win at Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, dominated both races there last year. And you're really looking for him to dominate um, this race as well. And, and it seemed like early on he didn't have the car. But as the stages evolved and as the race evolved and turned into uh, later on at night, you could see his car was really good. And he was involved in an incident with David Starr late in the going. And, and David, you know, had his tire unwind. and um, basically um, pounded the wall right in front of Noah. There was nowhere for Noah to go because because when David hit the wall, uh, Noah was running the high line right next to the wall, and that's essentially what caused all the damage to Noah's car and, and ended his uh, ended Noah's night, but not really David's night. David was able to make it to pit road, and, and they were able to get the car home uh, in, in semi-one piece, uh, albeit they lost a couple laps, I think, because of it. So, 
uh, that led to kind of like a Twitter feud and, and this, that, and the other. And kind of one of the things I, I, I kind of said every time I've tried to, to record this is that this is a racing deal. This is something that I think Noah has had problems with this before in the past where Noah said something and it, and it kind of makes you wonder, um, you know, a little bit that, you know, is Noah just being really passionate or is it really that Noah is this upset about this situation in particular? But nonetheless, I mean, the the back and forth, the calling, you know, Carl Long and his team a bunch of dipshits and and saying that about David Starr and all the other stuff he was saying, I, I think it's 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 okay to have the emotion. It's okay to be uh, upset about something like that. But at the end of, at the end of the day, Noah even a couple days later was still upset about it and was kind of still going at him. So I think, I think it's, it's moving on from it, you know, and, and knowing that sometimes saying things like that is going to cost you in the long run. And I hope that that's one of the things that doesn't come out of this uh, for Noah is that, you know, he's not trying to pass David Starr late in a race uh, for, for a, um, you know, at the guy or something like that. And it somehow doesn't cost him the win. You know, you're hoping that that's not where, where it escalates to, but, at the same token, when you say things like that and you do things like that, um, like how he handled himself after that race, those are going to escalate things where people will remember that because drivers never forget. And and they'll hold him up when he needs them not to or, or something like that. And it's going to it's going to cause a problem. So hopefully Noah's learned his lesson and he'll move on. Now, on the flip side of things, um, the happiest guy coming out of Homestead, Miami, was obviously um, Myatt Snyder, you know, Myatt Snyder picks up his first career, uh, NASCAR win, uh, in the Xfinity series. And, uh, it's a big win for this young man. I mean, here's a kid that ran the Euro series. He had some, some, some success a little bit in the truck series. Didn't really get that win or anything like that, but had some mild success in the truck series, drove for Thor sport, uh, for a full-time season. And then, uh, a couple you know, races here and there, uh, before that full-time season and a little bit after as well. So, uh, a good win for him, you know, something that, you know, last year we didn't know much about the the, the two guys that were getting in that 21 car uh, split in the season, essentially, was Mike Snyder and Anthony Alfredo. And yeah, I know Kaz Gralo was involved in that deal as well. But when you look at, um, you know, Alfredo really impressed a lot of people. I think a lot of people looked at Anthony as the guy that should have been in that car full time. Unfortunately, we didn't know at the time that Anthony was actually going to get an opportunity to drive that 36, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the 38 car over at Front Row Motorsports. So we didn't know that, that about that opportunity at the time. And, and and I remember when Myatt was announced, you know, and I was like, boy, that's that's mainly because of sponsor dollars. That's not a, a, a at least in my opinion, it wasn't because of the driver behind the wheel. I thought that was a pure financial you know, moved by Childress and, and you, you understand it, you know, if you're trying to run a program like this, um, even though the Xfinity cars don't cost as much as the cup cars and all that, you know, these guys, some of the upper tier teams have budgets that run five, six, seven million dollars in, in this series. And, you know, it costs a lot of money to run these cars. And if you can get a sponsor to, to foot a bill like that, um, you're going to do what, you know, you're going to take a driver and you're going to kind of run with it. But you hope that driver doesn't crash a lot of equipment, but, um, you know, because otherwise it ends up costing you more money than than what you bring in. So um, my big win for him, his uh, 36 uh, career Xfinity Series star, he picks up his first career win, a big win for that whole entire organization over there at RCR, um, you know, and winning at a place that, you know, the guy he beat, Tyler Reddick, won at 
um, the two years prior to that uh, and won his championship. So um, you look at, you know, Reddick finished second, um, you know, in theory. Um, but officially he got DQ'd because his uh, car was too low. So, um, you know, those things happen. I, I know our motorsports, you know, was was trying everything they could to get that car in victory lane because, you know, they they started behind the eight ball. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but they started behind the eight ball with that second car um, because they missed the race at Daytona because of rain. So um, we'll talk about that in a little bit, though. Um, then we're going to move into the cup race. So, you know, you look at the cup race on sat on Sunday and you, it was comers and goers, you know, Chris Buescher went out, won the first stage and, and you kind of looked at all the changes that were made at Roush Fenway in the last year or so. Um, you know, when they brought Luke Lambert in, they brought in, uh, Scott Graves, uh, back to the organization and, and you could see that they were starting to make headway. I didn't necessarily agree with the, the pairing of, Busher with, with um, Lambert and Newman with Graves. I really thought they should have done it uh, the swap because Luke Lambert and Ryan Newman had worked together previously at RCR, whereas Scott Graves and Chris Busher worked together as a, at, at Roush as the Xfinity Series uh, championship combo from 2015. So I kind of looked at that when that deal was announced. I was like, man, that that just to me didn't make sense. I didn't understand why they put Luke Lambert with uh, with with um, Busher and why they put uh, Newman with Scott Graves. I'm like that to me that w- would have made more sense to swap the two, the two crew chiefs and put them with guys they've worked with because we we saw in this particular race how important it is for drivers to have a good driver and crew chief relationship. And you know in the off season, Hendricks, you know uh, Rick Hendrick had to make a decision. They had to get a crew chief for, for William Byron because, you know, they promoted Chad Knauss to, to uh VP of competition and they had to find someone to, to put with William. And I think Rick kind of like what he did when he brought Dale jr. Over kind of a little bit like what they did, um, with, with Bowman to an extent, um, they paired those guys up with crew chiefs that they've worked with, you know, Bowman, you know, was plugged in a little bit with Greg Ives because they worked together a bit over at, at Hendrick when he, he filled in for, for, uh, for Dale Jr. And, and that kind of all, like, they just kept that team together. Um, it's just like, you know, I don't really think that Larson really had a preference on a crew chief. I don't think Larson was like, Cliff Daniels is my guy or bust. But I, w- I wouldn't have been surprised if they didn't try to put Cliff Daniels in that team with William Byron. Cause I really thought that that's where they were going to go because I'm like, you know, I think that that, that could be a dynamic pairing. You know, you take a guy who's worked with a veteran driver like Jimmy Johnson and, a, and has been a part of that team in the past and, and knows what the, the, the expectations are of one of these cup cars at Hendrick um, and put him with a young driver, like a William Byron. I thought that would have been a home run, but conversely, when you bring in a guy from the outside, that the drivers worked with those things work well. And sometimes they don't work well. Case in point is when Dale jr. Came over, you know, Rick Hendrick hired Tony Yuri jr. Away from DEI and he brought him into Hendrick and, and put the two of them together. Cause he believed in that chemistry. He thought that that chemistry was what was going to make that team better. And, you know, when, when this initially got announced, I was like, boy, this is, this is a stretch. I mean, you're taking a guy who's, who's a race winning championship winning crew chief in the truck series and you're throwing them in the cup series. You're just throwing them up there and, and hoping that this thing sticks. 
And I, I know Chad's still in the organization. Chad probably gave him a lot of pointers on on what things can translate from his knowledge of, of working, you know, in the uh, truck series. And I'm sure Chad is is very involved with the 24 team still, uh, even though he's involved with all the teams at Hendrick. But I believe that there was a little bit of a, a help with the learning curve because he has Chad Knauss. You know, if you didn't have Chad Knauss in the in the building um, still, like let's say if Chad left, I think then I would have been a little bit more, even more worried for Rudy. But I think this kind of, you know, this race solidified a lot of things like that. So uh, William Byron picks up his uh, picks up his second career win, obviously his first win in his fourth start with uh, Rudy Fugel as his crew chief on the cup side of things. So a big win for those guys. And, and like I said, I mean, there was guys that had shots to win this race. I mean, you look at, um, you look at, uh, Denny Hamlin had a shot at this thing sped on pit road. Um, that's been a reoccurring problem for, for Denny over the last several years. Um, so that kind of took him out of contention. There was a lot of things that happened in this race that when you look back at it, there was comers and goers, you know, Brad Keselowski was, was running well. Then he got shuffled back. Joey Logano, you know, came, came alive late in this race. And, and you just look at, look at the way this race ended up, um, for William Byron. It was really great. You know, he, he led a hundred and, uh, I think he led like 104 laps or something like that. It was like the most laps he's ever led in a cup race and he's able to go to victory lane. So William Byron definitely came on strong late in the end of that race and, and was able to, to get, to get the win, uh, and, and a surprising win at that. I mean, you know, I, I think most people want to penciled William Byron down to win at Homestead, Miami, um, considering, you know, those guys, it's only their fourth race together. So we've seen strange things happen this year. I mean, we've seen Michael McDowell win at Daytona. We saw Christopher Bell win at the road course. And, and, and now you end that third race in this Florida stretch with William Byron in victory lane. And, and it just makes you wonder like what's to come uh, the rest of the season, because it's been a crazy start to the season. I just think back to that Fox promo, the best season ever. Uh, maybe they knew something. I don't know. I'm just saying, but uh, crazy weekend at Homestead, Miami, two unexpected winners, uh, in, in the two races, and then we're, we're going to move on to uh, Las Vegas. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another quick break. This is the Crew Chiefs Corner podcast hosted by Bobby Bailey. William Byron picks up his first win of the 2021 season at Homestead, Miami. A very big moment for him and his first win with brand new Crew Chief Rudy Fugel. So we know that pairing is going to be successful this season. And now we head out to Sin City for the first trip for the NASCAR uh, series as they head out to Las Vegas. Will Hendrick Motorsports continue their dominance on this early part of the 2021 season? I mean, they already got a race win, three races in. Do they ride this wave heading out west to Sin City? We'll see what happens. Let's check out the Las Vegas race recaps from earlier this year. Will Team Hendrick keep up their dominance? Let's find out. All right, we're back here on the Coochie's Corner Podcast. This is Bobby Bailey. We are going to get into our Las Vegas race review. So we had all three series out at Las Vegas this past weekend. Um, really some exciting races. Um, I, I got to say, I mean, Las Vegas, as it's aged, has gotten better and better and better. Um, it continues to be an exciting track uh, to watch uh, some races at, and I'm sure uh, the fans had a lot of fun as well. So... You know, the truck race, we had Kyle Busch in it. Um, we all knew Kyle Busch was going to be a factor. Um, you know, there was some parts of the race where you didn't think Kyle was going to win, and then he had a flat tire. And I, I don't know. I don't know how to really characterize it. 
he's on the bottom of the racetrack and he just spun it out. I mean, there, there's no sugarcoating it. You know, it's late in the race. There's like 16 laps to go or whatever it was. He's, he's flat out spun the truck uh, because it, he loses, you know, a lap or two laps. He's done. He's not going to win that race. And, uh, you know, they, they get the tire on and stuff. He doesn't lose a lap and he drives up through the field and he gets a second and can't get around John Hunter Nemechek. And, uh, John Hunter Nemechek picks up his first win for, uh, for, uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports. And he's able to go out there and, and get a, get a win for that team. And, and he's able to, um, you know, catapult himself into the points lead. I mean, you know, you look at that, that whole deal and, and, and you really say to yourself, I mean, what? what is, you know, going to happen now? Because, and what I mean is what is going to happen now? Because it's, it's going to be, um, one of those types of deals. I think this year, I think, you know, this is, this is the team that everybody kind of, you know, circled as the team to beat, you know, this was going to be the organization that you were going to have to really beat this year was this four team. And and this is why Kyle did this. Kyle Bush, listen, Kyle Bush didn't put John Hunter Nemechek in this truck for them not to go out and win a bunch of races and, and be a serious title contender. And, you know, albeit great story that, that, um, you know, Ben Rhodes was able to go out and win the first two races of the season, uh, you know, at the Daytona road course and also at the Daytona international speedway, you're, you're seeing now, I think the driver that's going to dominate the majority of the season and John Hunter Nemechek. And I think he, the only person that's going to beat him is going to be his boss. Um, on a consistent basis, you know, cause Kyle's going to run his, his, you know, five races he's eligible to run. And, and you know, he's going to be competitive at, at competitive at those events. The thing that's going to be interesting to keep in mind is how good John Hunter Nemechek's going to be this year, because let's face it, he's betting on himself now. You know, he, he turned around and decided that running 20th in the, in the cup series was, wasn't going to cut it for him. He wanted to go back and put himself in an opportunity to go win races. And he was able to do that by going back to going back into the truck series and picking up a deal with Kyle Busch Motorsports. And Kyle, you know, puts him in a car and puts him in a truck that, you know, last year had Raphael Lessard in it. And, and Raphael, no, no offense to him, did not have this, the success that um, you would expect that Ford truck to have. You know, this is the same truck that, you know, We've seen Eric Jones win races in. We've seen Christopher Bell run well in this truck and win a championship. Um, and, and this truck was even the number nine truck at one time when, when um, you know, William Byron was driving it. So this team has been successful in years past and has won championships, won races, has gone to victory lane. And when Raphael Lessar kind of left the, that the organization in the offseason, and then we found out it was going to be John Hunter and Nemechek, the expectations went right back to championship because you have that kind of talent behind the wheel and John Hunter Nemechek. And here's a guy, here's a kid. I mean, he's still 25, 26 years old. Here's a kid that has won in the Xfinity series. He's won multiple uh, races in the truck series. And, you know, everything he's done in trucks has been for his father's team for Nemco Motorsports. And now he's driving for one of the best teams in that garage area. And, And the only team I think that would be on the same footing as them would be a Thor sport racing. And that's why I think this year it's really going to come down to, you know, how quickly, you know, Matt Crafton and, and, and Thor sport get their act together and respond to this, you know, because 
I think that that's kind of the level that this team is on, this four team. And I think they're going to win multiple races. I think they're going to continue to, to dominate this series. And I really do think it's going to come down to John Hunter and Jack. I think Matt Crafton's going to have something to say with this. You know, Ben Rhodes has obviously got those two wins. So, you know, Ben Rhodes is going to be there. But I still think Sheldon Creed's going to have a good season too, our defending champ. So there's a lot of cool things that I think are going to happen in this truck series. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, I really do think that there's room for guys to point their way in. But I think that we are going to see some surprise winners as well this year. I think, you know, you look down this field, I, I, I just have a feeling, you know, we're going to see more winners this year. You know, um, Johnny Sauter can win races. We know Austin Hill can win races. Grant Enfinger, even though he's running part-time, is going to go win races um, when he's in that 98 truck. And and shoot, he ran really well driving for the for uh, Cody Robar's team. So you know that those guys are going to be competitive everywhere they go. Um, so we'll, we'll see. And a quick shout out to Marcus Leonis for uh, putting together that deal with the 10 trucks for camping world. I thought it was a, a fantastic, uh, opportunity they put together for, for those drivers. And I think it really looked well on TV that, uh, you know, you have a sponsor in camping world that are so invested into the sport. So shout out to Marcus for all he does for this series. And, um, it was a, it was a good show. And then you move to the Saturday Xfinity race. I mean, you know, this race had a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, you had, you had, uh, you know, your normal suspects in, in, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, Austin Sindrick going out there and, and, and competing for this deal. And you knew that he was going to be, you know, somebody you're going to have to watch, uh, for, but you know, in the end you got, um, AJ Allmendinger in victory lane and, and a, and a great win for him and colleague. And, you know, listen, at the beginning of the season, uh, you know, when they announced this deal in the offseason that Almendinger was going to run full time, I know the emphasis on, was on the fact that this is going to be a, a very road course heavy schedule. But, you know, he proved this last year at Atlanta that that A.J. Almendinger can win on ovals. And, you know, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And again, you know, I've kind of alluded to this a little bit, you know, uh, previously, but who's going to be the guy that steps up and takes Chase Briscoe's seat at the table this year? We know Austin Cendrick's got his two wins. We know Justin Allgaier is, is bound to win a race or two. We know Justin Haley's going to be very good at the plate races. But who's going to be the guy that's going to step up and take Briscoe's seat? I think A.J. Allmendinger stands a really good shot at it because those college cars have been very good this year at each race they've been at. And I think that you look on the flip side, Junior Motorsports has struggled a little bit. So, you know, does that kind of hurt Noah Gragson? Does that hurt? Justin Allgaier a little bit. And and I think it does. Uh, but I think it helps a guy like AJ Allmendinger that those call it cars have been so good. And then also, do we see a first time winner soon? Do we see Jeb Burton win a race? Do we see, you know, maybe some of these other guys that have not won in this series before have a shot. So I think it's, it's going to play well into the playoffs. I think this is going to be a very hotly contested Xfinity series and uh, a big win for AJ Allmendinger. But the first of, of what I expect will be many wins this year for the Dinger in the 16. Finally, we're going to move on to the Cup Series uh, race on Sunday. I mean, just, you know, this race had, you know, some wild restarts, some wild, wild dicing on them. Um, you know, but unlike the week before when we were at Homestead Miami, there wasn't really a ton of come, or go, come and goers. You know, Logano had a good car. Brad Keselowski had a good car. The Penske cars were kind of in the mix early. Uh, but it really, you know, for the most part, looked like those guys were the cars to beat. 
But then all of a sudden, the Hendrick guys started showing up. We saw Chase Elliott go up there and lead some laps. We saw, uh, you know, Alex Bowman was was hanging around the top 10. Kyle Larson was knocking on the door early in that race. And, uh, you know, so you, you kind of could see some of the players that were emerging. And then Kyle Larson just put the spanking on him, leading, uh, I think, 105 laps on his way to his first win in a Hendrick Motorsports uh, stock car. Um, you know, the first win for the five in several years. And uh, just a big win for, for Kyle Larson. I mean, here's a guy that, We've chronicled it, you know, over a year ago, uh, you know, almost a year ago as, uh, or almost, it's going to be a few months away from being a year ago where he lost his job for something that he said in, in a high racing event. And, um, you know, now he, he has recovered, um, uh, from that in the sense that he is, uh, still, you know, undergoing his, his own program, you know, to, to make himself a better person and, and, a, and a better human being. And I think that, that those are things that you can't lose in this is that, you know, Kyle, you know, is still doing the right thing, even though, you know, he did get reinstated by NASCAR. He, he, he did get a great job at Hendrick Motorsports, but he's still doing these things that he needs to do to change himself. Uh, and, and to show people that, you know, you know, he is, he is a different person. He's not the same Kyle Larson that was there a year ago. So, uh, a big win, an emotional win for Kyle, obviously, uh, but a big win for that five team. And, and you got to remember, these guys were all Jimmy Johnson's crew guys last year. You know, Cliff Daniels, his first win as a crew chief in the Cup Series. So a huge, huge win for those for those guys. And I think that that also continues to prove that this Hendrick Motorsports team is going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know Chase Elliott's going to show up on the road courses. You know he's going to get a win you know that this team is going to be a, a team to watch. And now that they got Larson there, I think, you know, kind of like what we saw when William Byron won last week at Homestead Miami, this is putting the pressure on everybody over at Hendrick to perform because now there's no excuses. Now there's no, well, Hendrick, Mo, you know, Chevrolet's in the tank, you know, Hendrick struggling, this and the other. No, you have the defending champion on your team. You have a guy, you know, two guys now have won. It puts a lot of pressure on William Byron. I mean, not, not William Byron. It puts a lot of pressure on Alex Bowman to go out and perform. Because now, Larson's won. Chase is the defending champ. And William Byron won. So now, Bowman, it's like, what are you doing? Now, you got to perform. So you can kind of see where that that's going to put that competitive edge. But you look on the flip side, look at Kevin Harvick. Harvick struggled this weekend. Harvick had, a, had, a, had an uncharacteristically bad race for that team. And you look at Kevin Harvick and you say... Well, Daytona is not his, his best track. He struggled at the road course race last year at Daytona. He struggled at the Bush Clash. So Harvick had a decent run there. He, he kind of had a decent run at the 500. And we got to, to Homestead, Miami, a track that he hasn't been great at, a track he's won at, but a track he hasn't been great at. And he goes out and has a pretty good run. So then you start to say, well, maybe Harvick's going to have one of those years where he just blows everybody's doors off. And you go to Vegas, and it's like, what in the world happened to Kevin Harvick? So uh, they have some soul searching to do, but you know, I really do think that this is this is going to bode well for Hendrick. That you know, Larson picks up his first mile and a half win, first win for Cliff Daniels. The train keeps going, and I think these guys are going to be in the mix come playoffs. And uh, I know a lot of Larson fans are very excited, so. Be sure to check out CircleBDieCast.com. You can order your Kyle Larson race win diecast. They also have autograph mo models available uh, as well, and use our promo code uh, Corner. 
That's once again, promo code crew chiefs corner on all us orders over $20. You will get free shipping. So that's a great deal. Uh, you can get the autograph models. They don't have the standard one right now. Uh, they're out of stock on that, but they have the special finishes like liquid color, color Chrome. Um, I'm sure they're going to have flash coat and maybe some other ones as well. Uh, but a big, big win for Kyle Larson and the Hendrick.com, the Hendrickcars.com Chevrolet Camaro. So we're going to do is going to take one final break. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk quickly about the Phoenix race coming up, and we'll get you set up for the next episode here of the Crew Cheese Corner Podcast. Hosted by Bobby Bailey. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed our little trip this uh, episode down memory lane for a look back at the start of the 2021 season. We just recapped the Daytona 500, won by Michael McDowell. Then we took a trip to the road course at Daytona and saw Christopher Bell winning his first ever cup race behind the wheel of that number 20, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. And then we capped off our three-week adventure in Florida with a big win by William Byron in the NASCAR Cup Series at the Homestead Miami Speedway. And now we have started our West Coast swing. We have seen Kyle Larson dominate his first win at Hendrick Motorsports. And on the, ne uh, the next episode here of the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast, we're going to continue our West Coast swing, and we'll get a few more races in. So I hope you guys enjoyed this little look back, and I hope you guys uh, tune in to our next episode. It will drop later in the week as we continue our look back at the 2021 race recaps and kind of get you to how we got here, how we've gotten to this uh, point in the season where we're in our two week Olympic break. Hope you guys enjoy this trip down memory lane from earlier, earlier this season. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Coochie's corner podcast. I'm Bobby Bailey. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast. I'm Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media, Facebook at The Crew Chief, on Twitter at The Crew Chief, Instagram at Crew Chiefs Corner, TikTok at Crew Chiefs Corner, and on the Anchor app and anchor.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>